Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I am speaking to author Stefan Lee. We are talking about his books, K-Pop Confidential, and especially his book that just released, K-Pop Revolution. A little bit about Stefan. He is a journalist, author, and multi-fandom K-pop stan. He currently works as senior editor at Bustle after a five-year stretch covering books and movies at Entertainment Weekly. At EW, he traveled to Seoul for three weeks to write a feature about Korean entertainment's world domination, interviewing K-pop idols, filmmakers, and drama writers. He earned an MFA in creative writing at The New School. Yes, that's right. The New School. So, uh... I don't want to do too much further hoopla. I just want you to get to the conversation because it's incredible. But before I get there, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. The owner and operator of Snuffy is good friend of the podcast, Nick Silvestri, who designed the Deep Talks podcast logos. So if you like the logo, you want to go support him, go check it out, snuffy.co. And by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Stephen Lee is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with a dynamite of a guest, <laughs> Stephen Lee. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm great. I love that joke. I love any BTS reference, and I love a dad or parent joke <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> more was, than any other. It was smooth like butter, so that's that's all I got to <laughs> say. All right, that's that's like the extent the extent of of my my K-pop jokes, maybe. Well, well, I might think of a few others, but anyways. Yeah, give me more. <laughs> yes, Stefan, I am so excited to have you on the show. I think you know that. I think the listeners are going to find that out. But we're here to talk about, so absolutely some K-pop confidential, sure, and then definitely K-pop revolution, which is releasing today. If you're listening to this on the release day of this episode, it is out. If you haven't already pre-ordered it, you can just go order it and just go pick it up anywhere at this point. I don't know what you're doing. Yes, but, please. <laughs> so I got lots of Candace Park questions, lots of K-pop questions, lots of music questions. Excellent. So we're going to get there. But first, to ground the conversation, so here at the Detox Podcast, for those who may not know, we are a podcast that is committed to making the world a more inclusive place. And to do that, we invite people to detox, quote unquote, from the world around them just for a little bit and get a window into how other people live their lives. So, Stefan, I want to ask you, what have you been currently detoxing from? Detoxing from? Oh, that's a wonderful question. It's deep and I like that um, because, you know, I like to um, go deep with the conversation right away. So what am I detoxing from? I am detoxing from, I think, maybe accepting 
what I believe on limitations that I believe other people are putting on me, but I'm probably actually putting upon myself, if that makes sense. Yes. So, um, yeah, like, uh, a lot of the end of last year, um, was full of kind of romantic drama for me. (laughs) And a lot of it had to do with like my feelings about like, you know, not getting exactly what I want from the cis gay community, because that's how I identify. And, just being an Asian male, cis yeah. male within that community is actually not very easy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't want to throw around the word racist, but like, you know, um, I think even people who have good intentions or talk the talk um, have their own prejudices about um, romance in the gay community around race. And I know that's a very deep topic no. just right off the bat, but- No, it's good. Um, I. Yes. So like, I do think that this dynamic exists and it's horrible, but I don't want to be limited by it because I've found that I've been kind of making decisions based on that being out there and that reality being true. Um, But I want to move forward as if it's not going to be, you know, uh, not to ignore or sweep things under the rug, but to move forward with um, the most optimism I can. Yeah. (laughs) it's, <laughs> that's my long answer. <laughs> no, but it's, it's good. I think it can be. So I would say speaking as a um, white cis male, I would say mm-hmm. my perspective is limited and is, and is not, you know, I wouldn't claim for it to be the same as anyone else's. But what I can observe from friends, mm-hmm. you know, such as yourself and others in within the same LGBTQ plus community who are of a, uh, from a different race, I can see how the community, even within an a overall traditionally underrepresented community, speaking of the LGBTQ plus community, that we have dimensions of additional underrepresentation within that community. And so not being able to, um, or having some of the um, type of conversations that have not historically happened, starting to happen yes. now as a result of, of a lot of racial uh, discussions starting to take forth um, as of 2020 and moving forward, I think is healthy and and it's needed and it's long overdue. The problem is because it's been so long and overdue, you have folks like yourself, like you just mentioned, that have that have been having these conversations and, and having these feelings and having to keep kind of the weight of it on your shoulders and in your mind and it and that's not goodness. And so it is it is others' job. Uh, to to have that conversation and then to do the work themselves, speaking for myself and for others uh, who look and, and are from the same perspective as myself, to have these conversations about how we can make the more inclusive communities and, and have right. a better world at large. That may have been a little Absolutely. bit clunky, but I think, I think we got there. No, that makes complete sense. And, um, you know, even though um, my books that are currently out, K-pop Confidential and K-pop Revolution, have nothing to do with this topic <laughs> uh, explicitly, um, I think it also has everything to do with this topic because um, it has it has nothing to do with you know um, a thirty-something gay cis male <laughs> complaining about his romantic life. But Um, I think any type of representation that really um, humanizes people that maybe people only consider kind of um, a symbol, i.e. 
Korean pop stars. Right. <laughs> Um, but then giving them a sense of humor and um, real feelings um, and giving a window into what they might be thinking before they fall asleep or in their most intimate moments um, is a great thing for representation overall. Because I think the problems, even with the ones I just outlined at, at you know, the outside of this talk is um, kind of about people not really giving others capital O others, credit for being fully human, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's what um, entertainment, art, pop literature, pop culture does. Yep. I think that was very well said. And on, <laughs> on that note, let's talk about, let's talk about the icon of K-pop when last we left her, Candace Park, right? Yes. She is phenomenal. She, at the end, for those who may not, so I will say, I will do so. There's gonna be no spoilers for K-pop Revolution. I will make that declaration right out the offset. I will do my <laughs> best to not have any spoilers for K-pop confident or K-pop. Yeah, K-pop confidential. Um, what I will say uh, is, when last we left Candice, she had a, a bit of a of a, of a um, big. Uh, she up into the apple cart to say to say the the very least at the end of K-pop yes. Confidential, right? And so she she's made uh, some big declarations about the K-pop world at large, about some of the executives in charge of 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 the idols and about the the entire industry. And so yes. she was not sure what was going to happen uh, to her mm -hmm. specifically. Um, am I, you know, am I breaking contract? What's going to happen to me from a legal perspective? What are the fans going to think? You know, am I going to be the subject of scrutiny because I've come, come, you know, come for this industry that is so popular and is almost larger than life in a lot right. of ways. So now we enter into K-pop revolution. And what would you say is Candace's state of mind at the outset of K-pop revolution? Right. Well, that was a wonderful kind of um, summary of where things stand at the end of the first book, K-pop Confidential. So, you know, the first book is really all about the whole K-pop trainee system, which right. is something that's very foreign to people who know a lot about the American music system. It's completely different. So um, often K-pop companies will recruit very young children and train them for years. And then after training them for years, only choose a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of those trainees um, to actually debut in a group. So when you see a brand new group, um, such as like, you know, when, when Blackpink debuted four years ago, um, they had already been working, most of them, for sometimes even a decade wow. um, before then, um, with no guarantee that it would amount to anything. Yeah. So, um, Canvas goes through that whole process in a very accelerated amount of time in the first book. And then, um, like you said, Joe, um, at the end, she really does make some public declarations about things that need to change within the K-pop world, um, including um, really impossible body image standards, yep. um, some very harsh treatment and overwork. And um, at the beginning of the sequel, uh, K-pop revolution, we start right where we left off. And she is very scared because 
she has really put a target on her back by speaking out. And it's things that a lot of people have been thinking for years and years and years. Right. And maybe um, in the media, people have been talking about it, but like, it's not something that a actual, you know, person within the system, especially at one of the biggest K-pop companies, which Candace is at, um, has ever really done. Yeah. I kind of at the, at the most crucial moment, which is when she may or may not be chosen to debut right. um, on live television. So um, that's where we started out. She's very, very worried about what she's done, but she's also a little bit hopeful because even though legally she's really just there, the company has full rights to take away everything she has and sue her to no end. Um, she feels hopeful because the public response seems to be on her side and right. she knows that she actually has a lot of power. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. I think it's, it's so in, it's a good encapsulation of how um, we as, as, as society, so the collective we, do mm -hmm. have a lot of power in some of these situations with our voices. And I think we can start to forget that when we think about right. large corporations and, and industries, but then when when people start responding positively to Candace, as an example, in in right at the end of K-pop Confidential, um, then you start seeing like, oh well, maybe maybe things might turn out a little bit differently. And I I loved the artistic choice to start it right where we left off because I remember right. thinking when I finished K-pop Confidential, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna shake up, and I truthfully uh, get a little a, a little annoyed when we like. Six months later, right off the bat, I'm like, well, okay, right. hold on. Let's not yada yada through some of this. Like, let's live in the moment. Let's live in the sticky situations. Right. And uh, her mom is just a fantastic character. I wanted more and more interactions between Candace and her yes. mom. It was it was the best. So, so I I, I liked that, and I want to I want to think now about. Um, you know, you talked about about K-pop, and I want to I want to kind of circle back to something you had mentioned. Um, yeah. So I so I grew up uh, a huge boy band and pop industry fan. So NSYNC, yes. Britney, Christina, uh, O Town, yes. Backstreet. Um, even I grew up religious uh, and no longer so, but grew up religious. So plus one in that instance, and and there were other pop groups in that era, and 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 so on and so forth. And um, BB Mac as we're starting to evolve some of the the genre. So yes. all of this. So that was my kind of introduction. And so when K-pop was first, um, I think the first time I heard about K-pop with maybe a good majority of, of, of folks that were not familiar with the genre was BTS breaking through with a lot of their hit singles. Mm -hmm. And so when I heard it, I was like, oh, this is, this reminds me, this is a little bit of nostalgia mixed with new for me because I'm, I'm hearkening back right. to some of those days. But that being said, it did feel very, um, um, very much, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? I could I could tell like that everything was very precise. I think is the word that I'm looking for. Like the yes. looks were on point, the sound was on point, the choreography, like everything was so tight and precise that I I, yes. I wondered like what what may be going on, what may have led up to some of these moments, kind of a thing. And so yeah. getting the back the backstage look in both books because you do get the backstage mm -hmm. book in both books, you start to see a, that. So I wanted to know what was your personal connection to the industry as a whole, and then maybe what um, what personal connection or maybe what inspirations did you have as you're thinking about both of these books? 
Yeah, well, that is a great question. And it's so it's also funny because I think we grew up in the exact same era um, because I am 34. So I'm yes. And I just had my 36th birthday. Wow. But anyway, happy birthday. Thank you. Well, everyone tells me I look much younger, but yes, that's the Korean genes. Um, but anyway, um, no, uh, I, I definitely was more of a fan of just pop music in general, American pop growing up. Um, there was kind of this early era of K-pop right around that time in the nineties, um, where it did get very popular, but I was never a fan, even though I went to Korean church in Atlanta, Georgia, and I would hear other kids listening to it, but it just didn't resonate with me just almost because in that time of my life, I was just very focused on trying to, you know, fit in as best as I could with mainstream, you know, American white culture, basically. Sure, sure, <laughs> or yeah. I would just actually say American culture. And so I almost avoided it, which I'm ashamed to say now, but um, I really came into K-pop much later I would actually say the big year for me was 2014. Okay. And that was a little bit after Psy um, really became such a big, big K-pop moment. And I I think a lot of people in retrospect don't even think of him as K-pop just because he's so different. I didn't until doing some research for for this interview and recognizing how he was or is categorized and, and, and classified. Yeah. Right. But he is so different from like the groups that we kind of know as idols. And like, that's like another distinction. You know, there are are a lot of Korean um, acts that don't necessarily consider themselves K-pop idols. Um, But like, yeah, the idols are the ones who go through the whole trainee system from one of the big companies. So um, my entry point was 2014. Um, I was working at Entertainment Weekly as a staff writer. And whenever there was... um, you know, some kind of Asian American related story that kind of pushed through. Um, I was always put on it because I was the only Asian American staff writer. Um, And I actually did not mind that at all. I I always saw that as an opportunity that I'm still grateful for. So um, when uh, Big Bang and 21 and Girls' Generation and Psy kind of had that big um, moment in 2014, it's not even close to the heights that BTS and Blackpink have gotten um, years later, but 2014 was my main entry point. And um, EW actually sent me to Korea um, for three weeks um, to do research there. And it's funny because in America, normally at my job, like I could get, I got spoiled. I could get an A-lister to talk to me because I was affiliated with EW. Right. Same, same day, you know, usually. Um, But they couldn't help me at all with Korean acts and um, Korean entertainment is really, really on lockdown when it comes to, you know, public messaging. Mm. So it was actually very hard to get um, interviews and I'm not completely fluent in Korean either. So my mom actually lives in Korea. Um, She moved back, you know, after I was already an adult Um, and she is not affiliated with the entertainment industry whatsoever, yet she's just very plucky and, um, you know, very persistent. So she sure. actually got me interviews somehow. I still don't understand how she did this <laughs> with major K-pop stars. 
um, the director Bong Joon-ho who won the Academy Award for Parasite. Yeah. Um, but this was years before, but like he, she somehow got me a one-on-one interview with him at a coffee shop, <laughs> um, which was kind of amazing. Um, and, you know, K-drama writers, stars, every type of like big star. And um, she actually served as my translator um, unofficially. And when we would show up, I would be like, okay, I don't want to look unprofessional. Don't tell them you're my mom. <laughs> but then eventually it would just feel so, it felt awkward. I was like, oh my God, like this is so clearly my mom. So then we would tell them <laughs> by the end and they would be like, oh my God, that's so cool. But actually um, that was really my entry point into like Korean entertainment even because like it was always something that I always thought was like for my parents when I was growing up or like I don't know it just was less cool to me as sorry as ashamed as I am to say that but um yeah like uh I really came to appreciate it um and it's funny because um, people think that K-pop came out of nowhere, but what I really learned on that trip, especially from talking to executives um, and people behind the scenes, is that I even went to the Korean government. Like, oh, wow. they have a ministry of, like, culture and tourism, and they, Korea has been investing in entertainment and pop culture as, like, a m- main export wow. for decades, um, putting money into it, putting a lot of talent behind it and cultivating it. And they've been playing the long game and it's really paying off now. So, You're seeing, you know, seeing Squid sorry, Game and all those results. Yep. Uh, yeah, it, that that isn't an accident. It's been something that Korean um, artists have been working towards for years and years and years. So um, it's a it's a way of, you know, creating sort of soft power around the world because Korea is a very small country um not a lot of natural resources so it's not going to compete in certain like exports but when it comes to ideas technology and storytelling i think they really identified that as an opportunity to for them as an underdog to become a leader in the whole world and that's definitely what's happening that's a good point you bring up you know i was i was just thinking about the fact that like i remember I remember watching, like, I remember when Squid Game dropped and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need to consume it instantly um, and did. And then just seeing all of these like different articles crop up about about the fact that speaking to similar like what you were just talking about, as far as Korea has been investing in in the entertainment industry and Mm. it's been succeeding. It's just you're now you, Joe are now seeing it because it right. is broken into your TV screen or your Spotify playlist or wherever. And now it, it the door is open and you're getting a lot more of it. And I think I've got All of Us Are Dead uh, next up on my Netflix queue. Yes. So I, I, I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard nothing but phenomenal things about it. Of course, Parasite right. is... I, I still find myself thinking about Parasite like in yes. moments. Like just that movie is 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 next level incredible and anyways right snowpiercer was also directed um by by um i forget the director's name but who also directed parasite so oh um, yeah bong joon ho yes yes. yeah and like anyways um and and what you were saying before about you know the precision of k-pop like choreography and kind of like the tightly controlled nature of it i think that is something that um is kind of a factor of the fact of 
K-pop really striving or Korean entertainment really striving at that point. Sure. I think yeah, yeah. now that, um, you know, a Korean director has won a freaking Academy Award mm-hmm. um, and, you know, BTS is literally like by all standards, the biggest yes. music act in the, in the world for several years, you know, beating Taylor Swift and Drake. Yeah. Um, now I think there's like a little bit more like a bit of loose, a bit more looseness or just like artistic um, freedom. Yeah. Not that, not that there was ever a lack of freedom, but just like, I think what people might misunderstand about K-pop when they see it for the first time is like, oh, these are, these people seem so controlled or they're a little bit, they don't seem to be doing what they actually want to do as artists. But um, uh, I think BTS and a lot of other acts have kind of broken that um, stereotype because they're so clearly artists in their own right. Yes. But also um, there isn't that like kind of concern about like, oh no, like, are we going to make a mistake on the world stage and like embarrass Korea? You know, right. like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think they've already proven themselves so, so well that like, we're they're we're kind of past that stage so um but yeah like that's something that i really wanted to focus on in the first book k-pop confidential is that like k-pop is a big deal it's not fun and games because it it is considered an important export and a representation of this country's pride on the world stage so that's why individuals like candace have a ton of pressure um, you know, arguably too much pressure on them because yeah. they're not just representing their own dreams. Yeah. You know, and you bring up a good point about the, the artist, um, the art artistry pushing through and, and wanting mm-hmm. to, um, like BTS being clearly artists and also not worried about, about, you know, um, uh, embarrassing Korea right as a whole and I think um, no one can see this this is just for but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk the 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 listener through this so right now I have a k-pop confidential virtual background right now for for stuff (laughs) and so I'm going to actually change it to a k-pop revolution background and so again no one Mm -hmm. can see this this is just uh, make of it what you will Joe floating with the virtual background um, with with the book (laughs) in the background but it's delightful and I think I think uh, Stefan appreciates it so it's great but but in this book in and I knew that so I can pivot to talking about k-pop revolution Candace has that struggle Right. So I know yes. that we're not no spoilers here, but but there is that struggle of like, I want to be a unique I want to be a songwriter. I want to be an artist. I want to be who I fundamentally have always been. Mm-hmm. And I also want to be an idol and do this and strive and 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 do everything that I've been working towards. And how do I reconcile right. this? So how would you describe um, Candace's kind of conflicting dual journeys that we see throughout the book? Yeah, so um, I think this is kind of a universal thing for anyone who wants to do anything big, especially in the creative spaces. Um, sometimes the first step is the hardest. Mm. Um, And that's when you really have to, are kind of forced to play by the rules that are already set. Um, Maybe you don't actually have to do that, but like you feel like you have to because that's what everyone tells you, right? (laughs) Like um, even getting your first job out of college, um, you're told by your, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a um, career counselor in, in school um, tell you, you have to do this, your resume has to look like this. 
And it feels like there's no room to veer off of that. So K-pop is a much more extreme version of an experience that a newbie in any space has to go through where you are want to set yourself up to do what you actually want to do, um, actually express yourself. But it seems like there's a lot that you have to do for other people first. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think what um, Candice really struggles with in K-pop revolution is how much to compromise because she knows she needs to compromise some because, you know, she is young, she is paying her dues and she's also not in her country of origin because she is Korean American and she is in Korea and she wants to be, keep some humility because um, I think even in, in the first book, even though when she speaks out against some of the darker sides of K-pop, um, I do think that was very brave of her, but it wasn't, I don't think that it was a hundred percent, she was hundred percent blameless in, in doing so because maybe there are things that she doesn't understand why there are such strict rules um, or why, um, you know, um, there might be a little more deference to authority in Korea and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just very different from how she was, she grew up. So um, there's a lot that she has to kind of balance there. And she does kind of draw a line between being an artist and being an idol. Um, and being an idol is presenting that perfect appearance right. and being part of a group. So um, she, that is something that she has to kind of struggle with because like, and I also think of, you know, the experiences of Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles Yes. Um, recently. Like um, I finished writing K-pop revolution before either of those stories became big but um it, it really reminded me of um these young women who are so incredibly talented have been paying dues for so long but when is it time to say i have paid my dues and now i need to be a human being as well as a talent and as well as a kind of capitalist symbol for you know corporations yeah. so yeah yeah um, that gave me chills. That was very well said. Um, I, I heard someone say recently, um, I, I'm not going to get it exactly right. Cause I didn't, I didn't write it down, but it was someone who said, um, when they were, when they were working, working for a company specifically and, and doing speaking engagements and whatnot for said company and saying how much of myself is the company allowed to use as their capital, right? Or is their yes. collateral or is their material? Like, like I, Joe, I am me and I'm speaking, mm -hmm. but then it's like at what, where's the line between like the company can claim my story as its own versus mm -hmm. I am claiming my own story. Like, where is the line there? And so that, that fed into what you were saying about at what point uh, are these women, like I've paid my dues. I am, I am me. I'm an individual. Um, and this is what I need. And, and right. you, the, the audience, like have to be okay with that. Like you can't keep demanding right. more and more from me because it's, it's unsustainable. And we're right. seeing the, the, the crash and burn um, in a lot of those um, instances or just not crash and burn. I should say it, the um, we're seeing the, the breaking, the breaking point. point. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so that is, incredibly uh just well well said and 
and eloquent. And I want to say, I want to, I want to pause for a moment and talk about the audio book because I didn't know this until until recently. And so it is narrated by my favorite uh, Star Girl villain. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, Joy. Osmansky. 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 Yes. yes. So yeah. she's fantastic in general. And I did not know mm-hmm. she narrated both K-pop Confidential and is narrating K-pop Revolution, if I recall, right? Yes. yes. And so, um, first of all, like just one, how did that incredible connection even come about? And then two, how exciting is it for both you and her that she gets to have the opportunity to 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 voice all of these new, incredible, interesting characters in K-pop Revolution? Oh my gosh. So Joy... Osmansky is like a very big part of the whole K-pop confidential story because um, when it came time to audition um, audiobook narrators, I didn't even know that authors had say in like choosing their audiobook narrators, to be honest. <laughs> but um, it was during the pandemic. So, you know, they they sent me like six um, different actresses reading a certain portion of the book. And um Joy really stood out to me in terms of really capturing Candace's energy and her spirit. But um, in the excerpt that everyone was reading, um, Joy was the only one who had zero experience with the Korean language. Um, others could say the words like completely perfectly and all that. And there is quite a bit of Korean in the books. It's right. always explained what it means. But um, uh, so her... Um, pronunciation was like, you know, very non-native, but it didn't matter to me because it actually made sense to me because um, Candace's, one of Candace's journeys is kind of balancing her own identity as a Korean American versus um, a Korean and how she doesn't feel completely accepted in either country because, you know, she is a minority in America, but then she might look like the majority in Korea, but on the inside and just all her values and everything she's ever learned, um, she's quickly realizing she's extremely foreign (laughs) in Korea. Um, So um, Joy's story made just like, and just maybe the challenges she might've had in recording it just made so much sense. And it just made like beautiful poetic sense to me. Um, and the thing is like, you know, I did have to work with her a little bit on some of the words, but like she improved so much in a very short amount of time. And it really just was like a celebration behind the scenes of just the fact that like, you know, even though I was raised by Korean parents and I grew up, you know, with the language, um, you know, she and I are equally Korean American and equally Korean. So, um, uh, I thought it was just like an, a really wonderful and kind of subtle behind the scenes way of, you know, the themes and everything the book is about, the books are about coming together. And yes, in the second book, she has so much more to do in terms of voices because there's even a character that has a British accent, a very major new character that has a British accent and she just nails it. And it's really funny because I don't think Joy's career has really taken off in the past year yeah. in terms of Stargirl becoming like a main cast member and also Duncanville. Yes. Um, she's a voice on. And I actually don't think if K-pop Confidential would have 
published now, we would have been able to get her. Mm. And actually she, it was very hard for her to be able to do K-pop revolution. But I think like we had made such a connection that like she was going to make an exception and um, do what she could. So I'm so glad. (laughs) I can't wait to listen to it. Um, I was doing, I was doing some research and was like, uh, holy crap, this is incredible. I absolutely need to listen to this because she is just a delight on Stargirl and like that, the, yeah, uh, I could talk about, that's a different podcast about how <laughs> great that show is in general and how they're, they're, they, they have incredible <laughs> nuance and depth within all of the quote unquote villains, right. And bad guys. And, and so, yeah, it's, um, it, that for another time, but yeah, Joy Osmansky is phenomenal. And, um, I think I saw that you had mentioned it was your favorite way to consume the books is by listening to her read it and mm-hmm. voice the characters. So yet another plug, if you're listening to this, you can definitely go to, to audible or wherever and purchase the audiobook of K-pop yes. revolution and K-pop. You'll just get them both. Just get them both. And then <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Let's talk about One J. Let's talk about Young Bay. Yes. Let's talk yes. about the 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 perceived by by some, including myself, as love triangle. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm making a triangle. Um, so <laughs> I, I realize I do things right, and I'm like they can't see what I'm doing, and so they don't get the, the joy. <laughs> they being the audience. So, anyways, um, but yeah. So let's talk about. So last when last we met both Young Bay and One J. So Young Bay was in the mm-hmm. idol program, was focused on the new, the, the, on becoming the next, um, the I SLK. Said, thank you. I almost said BTS. I'm like, that's incorrect. <laughs> the next SLK. So he was focused. He was still yeah. an idol he, in training. He was still in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the, the training regime. And then One J, she had met One J and had the first date with One J. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and, um, and there was the scandal about the picture and all of that and perceived of maybe it was, maybe it was somebody not Candace who was it. So that was all going on. So what can we expect as, um, mm-hmm. or what can readers expect as we're heading into K-pop right. revolution for both one J young Bay and then how Candace fits in there as well. Yeah. So um, in the first book, um, I actually got some feedback from a lot of readers that were just like, oh, you know, the romance was there and it was good, but it wasn't like the super main focus of this book because it really is about creative ambition and Candace's creative ambition specifically. But um, to that end, I really wanted the boys in the book to really actually just be outer symbols of kind of Candace's journey. Yeah. In that, um, so 1J is part of SLK, which is, um, the company where Candace is at, it's their huge, huge band. Um, they're the number one K-pop band in the world and they've never had a girl group. And that's what Candace is, um, training for to be the female version of that. Um, and Young Bay, she meets, um, as a fellow trainee, but he's on the boy's side. And one thing that's like very interesting about, um, K-pop is that, things are so divided very strictly among gender lines. Um, And there is a lot, one of probably the biggest rule for K-pop trainees and for especially beginner K-pop stars is absolutely no dating or really any interaction with the, you know, quote unquote opposite sex. 
So um, for her to kind of interact with either of them is hugely, hugely taboo and very against the rules, but of course she breaks rules um, anyway. Um, so 1J kind of represents um, kind of her artistic ambitions and maybe her ambitions for being extremely famous um, because she does have a lot of ambition, but she maybe doesn't feel comfortable owning it as a, maybe as because she is like being a young woman makes it even harder um, to really own that ambition of hers. Whereas Young Bay, he's a fellow trainee and he's also from America. So she actually feels very comfortable with him instantly. But it's almost like if she were to suddenly get very famous and he, and Young Bay is not, like would she even have that much more, much in common with Young Bay anymore? Or would she more identify with this huge superstar who right. seems kind of perfect? And um, that kind of dynamic gets even deeper in the second book because um, she does kind of get to a point where um, she's, she's like, I don't know if a regular person can understand what I'm going through. And um, 1J has this air of untouchability. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like one of, it's usually only male stars who really get this, but like when there's a male huge superstar, it's almost like scandal doesn't touch them anymore or criticism can't even touch them. And because yeah. in the second book, I don't think this is a, this is a spoiler, but like Candace get, goes through a lot of scrutiny and a lot of really negativity from the public. And she almost feels like proximity to 1J or being more like him will suddenly, it's almost like his privilege will somehow confer on her. And that would be very comforting to her. So um, she thought she was 100% comfortable with Young Bay and like, you know, that's who she's more naturally with. But she starts to question that in the second book. You know, that's a good point that you bring up as far as like when male idols um, historically reach a certain echelon, it's almost like no scandal can touch them, right? I mean, I don't know if you yeah. watched the Free Britney um, New York Times yes. piece, but they talked about her relationship with Justin Timberlake, right? And so Justin Timberlake, mm -hmm. megastar, and then when he broke up with her, she got mm -hmm. the hate. She got the backlash. She got the right. how could you hurt Justin's heart type of reaction. And this is not right. to the level of 1J or, or a lot of the K-pop groups that would have. But it was still, I mean, I remember being like, um, well, so looking back, I understand. But I also was like, how could you break Justin's heart? And I was like, wait a minute, what are all these feelings that I'm feeling? Wait a minute, let's put that aside for a moment. But but anyways, that's a difference, again, for another time. But still, to that point, um, it felt like he was untouchable. And then coming out after they re-examined it and him saying, I handled the situation wrong. I was incorrect. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. Yes, I was young. Yes, I was immature. No, I didn't have the right like people around me guiding me. But I should have known better. And I need to mm -hmm. do better, right? And so not excusing the behavior, but owning it at this point in time was at least a step in the right direction. Um, but still, it's the proximity to those idols, yes. to those artists um, that is is difficult. So yes, Candace definitely goes through um, some scrutiny, uh, to say the least, <laughs> yes. for sure, in, in K-pop Revolution. Um, as, we're, as we're starting to wrap up, I just I could keep talking about this on and on and on. I want to think about... Um, as people are, um, I think I had said this uh, um, 
to you as well. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stop reading the book, um, except for one point in time. Mm-hmm. But that's because of, of different reasons and and being like <laughs> so close to the end and wanting to not wanting to finish it and wanting to finish it and all those good feelings. Um, <laughs> but I have not like enjoyed that much of a page turner since I've read actually the Hunger Games uh, series. Oh my gosh! So, so that oh, to me is is just like the writing style, the quip, the pace, the the interesting. Um, uh, characters that hooked me. So um, obviously different worlds, but still uh, mm-hmm. very, very high stakes in a lot of ways. So saying all of that, mm-hmm. when people are f- picking up K-pop revolution uh, today mm-hmm. um, and are, and, and, or maybe picking up both that and K-pop, um, K-pop confidential and K-pop revolution, what do you want someone to walk away from the books mm-hmm. and maybe even specifically K-pop revolution? What do you want them mm-hmm. to walk away with? Well, um, first of all, I want them, I really wanted these stories to feel very specific, but also universal at the same time, because um, I almost regret calling, putting the word K-pop in the titles, um, but I already did for the first one. So the second one, I kind of had to do that again, (laughs) because um, I don't want anyone to think that these are books that are only for fans or even people who are particularly curious about K-pop. Yeah. Because I actually just think it's K-pop is a really amazing metaphor for what everyone goes through in terms of um, putting yourself out there or kind of claiming your dream and actually going for it is so scary. And there are consequences to it. Um, You do open yourself up to criticism. Um, You do open yourself to constantly feeling like you're not measuring up. And um, I think I do this a little more explicitly in K-pop revolution, but um, a lot of what these idols are going through um, is exactly what we go through when we're trying to apply to college. You know, Um, we've worked so hard, overworked ourselves and maybe have lost sight of exactly what we're working for. Um, And maybe there is a way to do things on our own terms because um, the rules have already been written by a previous generation, but they're not the ones going through it right now, you know? Yep. So um, yeah, like uh, I, I think like um, when you mentioned Hunger Games, like Hunger Games really is one of the biggest um, inspirations behind K-pop Confidential because like, even though, you know, they're not fighting to the death, they are in a way because yep. this is extremely high stakes. Um, right you know, the whole world is getting so competitive because yeah. there's just more the haves and have nots. And I think um, in a way, um, Korea is no different from anywhere else, but it does seem a little bit more, ex- it almost seems exaggerated yeah. because there are so few um, slots at the top schools and everyone, like, it seems like a huge number of people are super qualified because, you know, it's in the culture to work super, super hard. Right. Um, so, um, I really want people to walk away from, from it with maybe some inspiration to like kind of redefine those rules. Um, <laughs> but also just to know that like doing that is dangerous, but worth doing because, um, you know, can't, the reason Candace suffers so much in the second book is because she speaks out and right. speaking out, being the one to do that, um, comes with a ton of responsibility and scrutiny and you know blowback but um as candace finds it is worth doing that um and you know it is worth putting on that very heavy crown 
And I have to say, um, I'm sorry if I, we don't really have time for this, but um, <laughs> like I, I was honestly really inspired as corny as this sounds. I was inspired by Candace herself when writing the second book yeah. because releasing the first book, K-Pop Confidential, right <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic was very difficult. Um, first of all, like we didn't uh, like, you know, I had so many expectations of what this release would be because, you know, I have friends in book media and I thought like, oh, everything will be, it'll get a lot more attention than like Scholastic is expecting or like, you know, um, people really get it. Um, it'll reach a lot of people, yeah. but um, there were so many limitations on everything yeah. um, during the pandemic. And also, so, so many things didn't go according to plan. And like, I really thought that because I've worked in books, but with, before I actually published one for a long time. So I just kind of knew, thought I knew how it went. Um, and I always thought, okay, when I, when I release the first book, like I'm going to be very like impervious to bad reviews or bad reactions because I, I just understand that it's so not personal. Right. I know how it works. I'm savvy. But then I just like realized, oh my gosh, I am that sensitive writer that like is <laughs> crushed by everything. And like, um, and you know, doing anything kind of public is very scary now. Um, sure. Social media can do so much good. These books, especially the second one, really explore the very positive and very negative effects of social media. Yes. And I have to say like, you know, literally every especially young adult author and especially young adult author of color get has a moment where they're like oh my gosh like the book isn't out yet it's my first ever book and someone is like really misinterpreting something online about it and I almost feel like this will be the end of my career yeah, <laughs> but yeah. every author and I think everyone who is ever taking a big chance to go out there put themselves out there has that experience. So I was kind of going through that when I was writing the second book. Um, and for the first draft of the second book, I just didn't feel it. I, uh, I really felt like I was going through the motions because I, have, I had already been burned by putting something out there in the first place. And by the way, I had zero, a very uncontroversial response to the first book by like it was all like 99.999% positive but yeah. I was that 0 0.001 of negative is still what burns you yeah. <laughs> so I was I was almost defining everything I was almost catering to everything uh, about that the second book to that 0.0001% who didn't like it I was like oh if I lean too hard into this theme I'm gonna get some blowback from that one person you know and yep, I was like yep, yep. why am I why am I why am I bending this whole story or this whole experience to someone who I don't even know and yep. who probably didn't didn't even read the book just liked some other tweet you know yes, yes. so um but like I actually ended up kind of putting some of that experience into the second book because um there are people who who criticize not even because they really believe it but just because they want something to do on social media yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or you know or um even the presence of someone doing the thing that they might might secretly want to do yes is very threatening yes. so um I decided to just kind of harness that and actually I just leaned in harder to maybe some themes that would be a little more controversial and I just 
went all in and I put some of that angst into Candace's journey. And that's when the book really came alive because I struggled with this second book for the longest time. I had about six months to write it, but then I really only wrote the book that was the final version in the, in that last month, because that first five months was just like pure torture of sure. like me, just like doubting everything. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something I want people to like really understand that like it, it is very hard, but it's worth doing. It is worth doing. And that's why <laughs> we call you the, 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 Oh, I was going to say She-Wolf, but I forgot the name of the, how to say it again. Oh, um, yes. The Yowu. So Yowu um, is like, Yo-woo. yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a word that Candace is called by a CEO at the company. Um, and that means kind of She-Wolf or just like a kind of a foxy lady yeah. who is kind of cunning. Yeah. And it can mean something negative, like, oh, she's like shrewd, shrewd and like, Right. sneaky or it can mean kind of like badass smart can outsmart any any hunter so absolutely yeah. and, and that's exactly what candace is well this has been a fantastic discussion we're not done yet we're gonna we got one more uh segment left to go in the show but i want to say so if you're listening so obviously we've got show we've got links to the book in the show notes as well as on the social medias uh that we have um but yes you absolutely need to get this book it is incredible Representation matters. The more that we <laughs> are able to diversify our bookshelf, our kids' bookshelves, our own intake, the better we're going to be and the more we can make a more inclusive, well, more, I said more, it's redundancy, but uh, make a more inclusive world that way. And by having, by getting the opportunity to read about Candace's journey and Candace's perspective and Candace's uh, parents' perspective and journey, um, even fictionalized, mm-hmm. these characters who are so real um, and it's so different from my own individual journey, I was able to learn more about a different perspective that I didn't have. And I'm excited for when my kids are older and they can read and they can become huge fans of Candace and they can um, make sure that she is their ultimate bias. And and so, see, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to work in the the the, the lingo. Um, the lingo, yes. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this is I love it so fantastic. much. Fantastic. So, okay. Um, so let's go. We're going to go to a part of the show that I like to call Things to Check Out. So it is a segment where okay. I ask, uh, where I provide uh, recommendations of something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. And I am invite my guests mm-hmm. to do the same. So I will go first so that way you can kind of think of something that you want to recommend. So we've already uh, talked the crap out of K-pop Confidential and K-pop Revolution. But if you've not gotten it yet, uh, just a reminder, go get it. Check it out. Consume <laughs> it. A couple of other recommendations that I have. So I am currently reading uh, off of the recommendation of uh, Stephen Lee. And the category is by Ricky Tucker because this book yes. is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And by the time that you're listening to this, uh, I uh, his episode is already live. So he's on the show um, uh, right now. And um, the book is incredible. Definitely go check it out. If you're into one, if you've f- learned about ballroom culture by either watching Pose or Legendary or perhaps both, you need to go read his book. It is the definitive book on ballroom history, culture, everything, Vogology related delightful delightful person so that's my biggest recommendation <laughs> um and now i'm got we talked about some um korean entertainment as well we talked about squid game if, i don't think there's a person alive who doesn't know about squid game um all of us are dead <laughs> i i actually presume it's good i'm going to be starting it this weekend so fingers crossed um i've heard nothing but incredible things about it and um 
so I would say, and then Parasite uh, that we talked about as well. So if you haven't watched that, you need to go watch it. Um, I will because we were talking about music and the industry, the pop industry, I'm going to do a bit of a shameless plug. So if you are listening to this and you don't know, I do another podcast called After the Encore, which is a behind the scenes look at the music industry by doing a career retrospective on different artists. I did an entire pop season where I talked to Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, Jacob Underwood of O-Town, uh, Nate Cole oh, wow. and Nathan Walters of Plus One, and Kevin Yee of the boy band that never was called Youth Asylum. I don't know if anybody remembers Ooh. Youth Asylum. Do you remember Youth Asylum? I remember the name, but I Jasmine. don't know anything They had about a single them. called yeah. Jasmine <laughs> that was on the Disney Channel. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, then they never the record never got picked up, and then they just got oh dropped and disbanded. And so his story is about the industry that is trying to uh, replicate success and doing it poorly. And he's like 13, 14 Ooh. when he's going through it. Um, and then like all of the – so every single member in that group was a different um, – of a different um, – um, uh, had a different, uh, was from a different underrepresented group. And so uh, Kevin Yee was there, um, but he's got a lot of story about being told to, um, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, um, so he knew he was gay at a certain age and then being told to to act straight, I'm using air quotes, and, and his whole story and journey with that and being a, a gay man of color in the pop industry in the 2000s, like just all, and being young, right? So all of that um, is is a lot. So I would definitely recommend going checking out those episodes. If you're interested in the behind-the-scenes stuff, Jacob Underwood goes into a lot of detail about what it was like filming, making the band. Um, and then also I did a whole season on the TV show The Voice. So if you're curious about the behind-the-scenes of The Voice, we've got Tony Luca on there. We've got um, Cole Vosper. We've got Senna. We've got Michael Lee, Cody Blue, a lot of folks. So anyways, if you like music and you want some accompaniment after you've consumed K-pop Revolution and K-pop Confidential, Definitely go check it out. So yes, so that was a bit of a shameless plug, but I don't think folks will uh, hate it. I think they will appreciate it. And so now, Stefan, what are what are you watching, listening to, con- reading, consuming, etc.? Okay, so lately, even though I used to work at Entertainment Weekly and it used to be my job to watch things, I've been really bad in the last six months or so about watching like scripted quality um, programming. <laughs> um, so I, I've i been just like kind of binging like YouTube crime documentaries just constantly. But um, I actually just watched Inventing Anna on um, Netflix, which is um, the story of Anna Delvey, like a young female scammer who scammed, you know, the elite of New York. Um, and it's uh, created by Shonda Rhimes, and it is so addictive. The performances are so fun. It's so scandalous. I, I thought absolutely this, devoured it. This has Julia Garner uh, from Ozark. Yes. In the, oh my God. Yes. This, this is on my. This is on my next. Okay. I was like, right. this, this sounds very familiar. Okay. Great. Keep going. Please. Yeah. Julia Garner plays the main character Anna Delvey, who's a Russian quote-unquote socialite, uh, someone who pretend, very successfully mm. pretended to be a socialite in New York for a long time. Um, it's incredible. And, okay, reading, um, oh gosh, so, um, again, I haven't been that great about reading in the past few months, but um, some of my favorite books from the past year have actually been by Korean-American authors. Um, uh, Michelle Zauner's Crying in H Mart. It's a beautiful, beautiful memoir about her relationship with her mother who passed away. 
Um, it is just gorgeous, life-affirming, devastating, hilarious. It's everything you really want in a beautiful story. Um, I also read the last story of um, Mina Lee by Nancy Ju Young Kim, and it was just a gorgeous novel. Um, so those are what I'm uh, reading, listening to. Okay, um, so I'm a, the difference between like what I know about your taste, Joe, and mine is that I'm I'm actually just generally, other than BTS, I'm really not a boy band fan. I, I never was. I was always not that interested in um, Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or O-Town. Like, I don't know. I, I just like, when it came to music and kind of that fantasy, all I cared about were the girls. Okay, um, fair. So, um, yeah, but I've been kind of going through, I think inspired by the whole Britney, free Britney movement. Yes. I've just been like really hooked on um, Britney songs from the early 2000s and also other girl groups from that era, like yes. Destiny's Child, yes. 3LW yes. for a slightly deeper cut. Yes. Um, Dream, which is great. Spice Girls, obviously. Yes um tlc of course let's not forget um, about bewitched just, nobody's angel sorry those oh are some bewitched deep, deep yes all saints like yes. all sorts of like all all these amazing groups um oh. not all of whom have reached you know legendary status unfortunately right. but um but yeah um but specifically okay i've been watching like cuts of britney choreography like there's like this whole subgenre on youtube and tiktok of like um, you know, when Britney had a huge single, she would just perform it so many different times. And like, she would perform s different parts of the choreography better in one performance than the other. But like, there are all these like perfect mashups of like the best parts of every performance oh, of every fantastic. song. And the one that I've been really obsessed with lately is Oops, I Did It Again. Because I, I don't know, I never, that's one of her big hits that I'm always just like, oh yeah, that's obviously like a, amazing song but like it's not one that I return to that often but when I saw the supercut of like the choreography that I forgot she did when it first came out there's yes. like this dance breakdown in the middle yes. not the version that she did the VMAs right. but a different version right. um and I I've just been obsessed with it I like downloaded that clip from YouTube and I just listened to it like when I can't look at it, when I'm walking around, I'll just listen to the audio and picture her choreography in my head of that breakdown. Yes, so yes. that's that, where I'm at. <laughs> that's fantastic. I always remember some of the choreography because um, I watched Will and Grace so many times the entire series yes. through college. There's the scene where Jack is teaching Grace the a bit of the oops I did it again choreography while Will is out of town. Yes. So I just have that <laughs> in my head. And he's just like, yes, yes, we're channeling Brittany right now. I can feel her in the room. <laughs> yes exactly so but yes oh that's fantastic well this has been absolutely delightful seven if people want to follow you and see what you're up to what's the best way for them to yes. do that i would probably say instagram is where i'm most active and oh gosh my i regret this handle it's very weird but it's stepheffen it's like my first name which is stefan with an a, a p h a n but with an extra ep stepheffen um, and I'm also on Twitter um, at Stefan M. Lee, um, but I don't use that as often. Perfect. Um, and as a reminder for 
our folks here. We're at Detox Podcast on all the social channels. And then I am at Detox Joe on Twitter. I am trying to be more active on there, but I dip my toes in uh, a little bit, give some writer jokes to my writer friends, and then dip back out. That's about the extent of it. So, <laughs> all right, Stefan. Thank you so, so, so very much. I hope you will come back on the show again because this has been an absolute delight. Oh, gosh, absolutely anytime. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, and it really just seems like your audience is growing by the week. So um, I'm so excited for you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with Detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.